This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 4. My guest today is Zeev, who identifies herself as a cisgender heterosexual woman and prefers the pronouns she and her. So welcome, Zeev. I'm so pleased to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And so, Zeev, I'm going to start. Uh, this is this is actually the first time that I've asked one of my guests this question. This this arose. This is a very organic <laughs> process, and I'm learning as I am talking to, to each person. It's informing you know, future conversations. So I'm first going to ask, mm-hmm. how do you self-identify? I self-identify as a um, cisgendered um, heterosexual woman. And just for anybody who's listening, what does cisgendered mean? It basically means that um, your the sex you were born with, um, your current self-identification, your gender matches the um, sex you were born with. Great. And what pronoun would you like me to use? She, her, will totally be fine. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. You know, I know... Uh, but I don't know if I've actually said this in other podcasts or in the other ones I've recorded, but I'm starting out interviewing people that I know, you know, kind of getting my sea legs mm-hmm. and, 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 and learning how to do this. And so I know that you are coming here with a lot of experience in gender studies. And um, I'm wondering what in your personal life mm-hmm. brought you to want to study this area? Yeah, of course. Um, so really when I... When I look at my life, I kind of identified or I see it as before gender and after gender studies because it just made such such an impact on my life. Um, it was simply transformative. I decided to study gender and it was actually by accident. Um, I met when I was in grad school, I was assigned um, to a, a, a fantastic female professor who was very charismatic and she was very confident. She was just this wonderful woman. And I was assigned to her as her her mentee and, and the person who was going to be studying under her for the for the for the next two years. And um, so to get to know her a little bit better, I signed up for her gender and conflicts course, which was very interesting to me to begin with, because when I looked at the catalog, it was the only one that kind of stood out. And I thought, gender and conflicts, you know, everything else was this analysis and that analysis, but gender and conflicts, that I wanted to give it a try. And honestly, after even the first lecture and just reading all the reading materials, I thought, what is this class? What is this material that I have never studied and yet it is in every day of my life? So that was kind of the accidental start of of something that ended up really changing my my life. When did you first become aware of different gender roles? I think from a very early age, you, you know, you have your own close family members, your mom and your dad, and I grew up with a brother. And I'll I'll say this without any sort of, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed sometimes that I never actually thought about this 
earlier, um, before this gender course that really transformed my life, I knew that there were differences between genders and what what people did based on their on their genders. But I never actually thought that those were, you know, assigned roles or that's what the the societal expectations were. Because I think that's essentially what why this is so important because it's it's ingrained in our in our brains almost. You know, we we kind of, it, we do a lot of things subconsciously, and so you never really, at least in my case, I never really stopped to think. Oh, why is my mom doing all these things? And why isn't my dad doing any of these, you know, household chores, for example? Um, so I never really thought about it until, you know, later on in life when I had to look back and then, oh, that made a lot of sense. Wow, I can't believe that was the system in which I grew up and I, I lived. That, that Those were my, my everyday, you know, life. I think that you are not alone mm-hmm. in just not being aware. I, I certainly, I know for myself when I was younger, yeah. uh, the the same. Did you, like when you started studying this stuff, did you go back and talk to your family or have conversations with them about it? Actually, this, when I started studying gender, um, it, uh, my relationship ended because of it. Like a romantic relationship? Yes. Oh, yeah. My a, a romantic relationship that I had with a man at the time ended because I started noticing all these things. Um, so it, it was at the time we had just moved in together. And it was the first time I was going to live with a boyfriend. And we had just moved into this new city. We were both starting grad school. We we're both very excited. So I didn't take this gender class until second semester. So the first semester, you know, we moved in and and I always found myself incredibly tired all the time. I simply was doing everything in the house. I and and what I like to call these small decisions were all mine. The everyday decisions. Can you give me an example? Um sure. I mean getting groceries thinking about what to make for, you know, for dinner, where to go out, um, making all the logistical um, arrangements for small trips. I mean, really, I ran everything, even doing laundry, thinking about getting, you know, cleaning products for the house. I mean, you name it. By small, I mean, they're, they're important, but they're just decisions that don't really take a lot of mental energy but because you do so many of them all the time you then end up being exhausted because there's so many little things that need your attention so you have no time for big decisions big things that you have to you have to focus on and we were both students we had both first time living with with a partner and what was interesting was that we never had a a talk about who was going to do what we never said, oh, okay, well, you do all the all the household chores and while you do something else. We never talked about it. I naturally assumed all of those responsibilities without absolutely giving a second thought. And he also assumed his by not engaging or not even asking if he could help in any way. So when when this class started and I started to really look, take a hard look at my own decisions and why I did certain things, what it is that I was doing, I first started with my own apartment <laughs> and my own romantic relationship. And I said, and it was basically like this, this 
curtain just being lifted and you can now see things a little bit more clearly. And, and I was shocked. You know, I said, I can't, this is why I'm exhausted all the time. This is why I'm so tired. Did he, did you talk to him about it? I talked to him about it. And, you know, I said, well, now I know why you get enough sleep at night. Now I know why you have so much time for your papers. You know, you're getting great grades and, and, and also great dinners. <laughs> so, so we came up with a system of, of weekly, um, you know, chores and, and cooking and cleaning. So, and I said, I just don't want to think for a week while you do everything else. I don't want to think. I want to want, I want to know what it feels like to not think about every day, everyday things. Can I just feel that? And when I felt that, it was absolutely liberating. I would come home and say, wow, I don't have to think about what to make for us. I don't have to, not only that, but I don't have to feel guilty for not making things for us or for not cleaning, for not doing laundry. That was incredible. I was on top of my reading assignments and my my uh, papers and everything. And you know what? He started to get really, really exhausted. And so the quality of food went down and he was just doing things that were, that were quicker. Um, but then he actually had a, had a big issue with, with what I was going through. He didn't understand. He thought that school, we were talking about things that had nothing to do with our relationship and that and that how things were with us was just perfectly fine and had nothing to do with gender. And he couldn't understand why I was suddenly questioning things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to me, you know, I said, this is the different difference between a, a true partnership versus, you know, having a relationship based on these strict gender roles, basically. Um, so we, so it didn't work out because it, it became a real um, tension between us where I was really, I did not want to go back on, on what my newfound sort of liberation. And I thought, no, I need a partner, not someone who wants to benefit from these whatever gender roles that we were playing. <laughs> Ziv, in your workplace, do you confront any gender issues? Or would you say you don't even think about it? It's kind of a non-issue for you. Oh, I definitely think about it on a daily basis. Um, when I actually look back several years ago, I used to work in a, um, one of those law enforcement agencies where you can, you can imagine sort of the, the traditional culture. Um, it was overwhelmingly, um, male colleagues, I would say about 95%, um, and very, um, sort of, you know, vocally proud to be extra masculine, (laughs) if I could say it that way. What's really sad is that at the time, and this was pre-gender studies, I didn't really think about the way that I was encountering things that were simply based on my gender as a woman, but also, you know, the harassment that happened simply, I mean, I would say on a daily basis. I just assumed that they, those were the things that just happened can I ask what um, sure. like what kind of harassment occurred? Absolutely. So every meeting would start with 
questioning the color of my nail polish of the day, for example. Be like, oh, what kind of red is that? Or that's that's an interesting color. Can we all talk about the color of her of her nail polish before we get started? It would always be that way. And if, if it not if it wasn't my nail polish, it was how shiny my hair was, or if they, you know, if if I had just got done that morning and it was about my dress, my hair, my nail polish every single time. And because it happened so often, I got used to it. Mm-hmm. So I would have, you know, sometimes I would just laugh it off or other times I would say, well, oh, thank you for noticing. But it, yes, I, it's fine to compliment somebody on their, on their looks every now and then if it's, you know, if it's coming from a good place. But, but now when I think back, it wasn't necessarily because someone was just randomly complimenting me, but it was simply that's how every meeting started. And so quieting the crowd to start a serious presentation after those comments was always very difficult. And I'm I'm short and petite and look, at least I'm told, that I look younger than my actual age. So it's already challenging for me to be taken seriously. And on top of that is my nail polish and my hair and all. So we start off with a tone that's not professional, Mm -hmm. that's not serious. And so getting everybody's attention and making sure that they take you or what you're saying seriously was always very, very challenging. Um, So in addition to that, though, the, the harassment in the workplace was not just not only targeted to me, but all the all the um, women in my in my office was really a daily occurrence. It was the subtle comments about, you know, sleeping alone at night and what that must be like to um, I actually one day walked back to my desk and someone was going through my trash. And said that that's when I asked if they had accidentally dropped something in the trash, and they said, "No, no, this is, this is my way of getting to know you better." Oh my God, are you kidding? No, that was. That's incredibly invasive. Yes, and and when I talked to my supervisor about this, um, his response was, "Oh, you know, well, you should take that as a compliment. He wanted to get to know you better." Wow. So why don't you go sit down and talk to him? <laughs> So all of these things were kind of like, oh, you should be happy that people are interested in you. That just means that they like you. You know, if you're being harassed, that means that they like you. I remember being, you know, constantly asked about, oh, but what are you? What is your ethnicity? What you-, you look very exotic. You look this way. You look that way. It was just, it was too much to handle. All, of the- I mean, all the time I, I had to have almost like flashcards of how do I respond when this is told, when, when I'm told this, because it just happened so often again, that I almost felt like I was on autopilot, totally expecting to be, um, to be facing these questions on a daily basis. Did you ever talk to the other women in the office? Yes, we talked all the time. I, and I they, mean, about this. Sorry, let me just absolutely. Be, ex- yeah, be explicit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I, I think that, we were all kind of the same. Oh well, this just this is this is how it's supposed to happen, right? Like the, those are the the older men just making fun and and trying to maybe compliment the little petite girls. That's 
unfortunately, that really was, that's how it was. And I can't, looking back on it now, I can't believe I was not outraged all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I'm outraged now thinking about it. And I can't believe how all of those things, all, all of that behavior was just assumed to be, oh, that's just how things are. See, what year was, or let's say approximately what years did this take place? This is between 2010 and 2015. Wow. So we're not talking about decades here. <laughs> we're definitely talking about just a couple of years ago. But this is this is before Me Too. This is before yes. the current conversation. Yes. I, I'm yes. curious, are you in touch with anybody who still works in that office? No, all of the, all of my, um, all the women that I used to, to work with, they all left. So no one's there anymore, but I would be, gosh, I'd be so curious to know how, how that place has changed since, you know. If you ever find out, let me know. Absolutely. I'd be curious Absolutely. As well. Yes. Before I shift, is there anything else you want to say about gender in the workplace? It is, I feel like we can have multiple sessions on this topic, really. I think in my current place of work, it's not so um, explicit, but I certainly see it in the way that certain um, female female leaders or, or those who are in, in position uh, positions of power um, how much they have to work really, really hard to um, defend their decisions, where I, I, I can sometimes see that if a similar argument was made by a man, um, it would not encounter so many roadblocks. Hmm. Let's, let's put it that way. Understood. Um, so it's it's interesting based on just what we talked about here. My next question is about your thoughts in this current environment. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, post Me Too. What do you think is possible now that mm-hmm. was not possible even a few years ago? I certainly think that one of the things these latest really important movements have, have um, made possible is um, taking these complaints more seriously. So if I go up to my supervisor today about a, a behavior that's very much explicitly harassment, um, I think that I my story will be taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it raised the level of awareness and, and made everybody kind of take a good look at their own actions and their own behaviors and, and certain things that they assume to be just an everyday conversation or or comments that are oh so commonplace we can we can talk about these things it's okay to behave this way because it's just we're just making, we're just joking around I think that it highlighted how important um, those comments those jokes can be on someone's life the impact of, of, of that, especially if it's happening so often that it's increasingly putting that person who's on the receiving end in a position of feeling powerless and feeling like they're always on the receiving end of, of, of these comments that 
And I think it's, it's very important. Um, so I do believe that the level of, of awareness has been raised because of it. Do you have any life goals or dreams that you chose not to pursue? Mm. And if so, do you think gender played a role in any of these decisions? Wow, that's a really tough one. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's really hard to tell. It really is. Although I'm, I'm growing more and more interested in, in athletics. Um, I never knew the side of me before. I, I, I love being active and, and feeling like I'm putting on muscles. And I, I never was interested in, in sports growing up. Now, I don't know if that had to do with my gender or how, if my parents somehow made me believe that I wouldn't be good at sports. Um, but that's one thing that I always wondered. I wondered if, if sports could have had bigger place in my life because of how much I enjoy it now. Um, and that's one thing, but as far as my career, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty content with where I am. I'm not so sure, honestly. Yeah, and and I truly mean the question. Yeah. It, it's not just about career; it could be yeah. about anything. Happy. The question is meant both professionally, non-professionally, however uh, you mm -hmm. interpret it. Now, it's it's definitely challenging, even to pursue my this new um, passion in in running, particularly, and I, I love being, you know, outdoors and running um, outside. I. I'm actually very scared to run in the dark <laughs> and, and that, that has a lot to do with, um, with, you know, honestly being a woman and hearing all these stories in the newspapers and, you know, this, this runner or this, um, running around in, in the, in, you know, in the dark and was, um, stabbed or was hurt. So I, I'm, I'm scared to run alone as a woman in the dark. So it's challenging. So I have to shift my schedule around to make sure that I can still do this without having to, um, to, to give up on, on my, on my goal. And I actually was having a, a, a discussion with one of my friends who's a professional runner. He's a, um, a man, um, and said, Oh, well, why, why can't we do, you know, Wednesday at eight 30 and, and we'll meet at this park and then we'll go for a run. And I was like, Oh, are you crazy? Going at a park at 8:30 at night? And that's, you know, it's dark. How are you going to run it at night? And he said, "Well, he I, I always run at night cuz that's the only time I can. That's after work and I go home and change and and that's when I realized I'm like, wow, I I still increasingly am making decisions based on these obstacles of I simply don't feel safe running at night while other people feel perfectly fine running in the dark. And that's because, you know, and he admitted that too. And he said, I never felt threatened running around at night. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's actually something that hasn't come up yet with the other people that I've mm -hmm. talked to. And I think, you know, just for myself, that personal safety issue, I think about it on a daily basis. I don't run at night, but I walk at night and I've got my keys in one hand. And I've got my phone in the other hand. And I am ready at a moment's notice and I'm hyper sensitive to my environment. Like if somebody, if somebody comes behind me, I'm, you know, who are they? Where's that shadow coming from? It, I, I do think that this is something that most men, I won't say all, but I think most men don't, they don't, they just don't think about it. They're right. just completely unaware. Yeah. I mean, I think that fear 
that daily personal safety, that fear is with us all the time. I mean, how many times have you shared your location while you were in Uber or Lyft with a friend just so they know where you are? Or, you know, texted a friend and said, did you get home okay? Um, but, you know, underneath of it all is really this this deep fear of something bad could happen to my friend who's a female walking home alone at night or really early in the morning when not a lot of people are outside. So that's that's a challenge that we face every day. Can you tell me about a time that you thought, I can't do X or I can't do fill in the blank, or if I try to do X, that the consequences would be so great that it just simply wasn't worth trying? I can't run at night <laughs> alone. <laughs> Is there some place in your life that you decided to push on anyway, even though gender expectations or gender roles told you not to? Um, yes. So I am 32 years old and I'm not married. I don't have kids. And I honestly, I don't, I don't, I've never thought about getting married. Actually, let me put it this way. I thought about it because everyone asks me, <laughs> so you can't escape it. But I never had a dream, you know, wedding dress or what my wedding party would look like or what it would feel like or who would I invite, who would be my... I honestly couldn't care less. And when it comes to kids having kids, it's not so much of, oh, I need to feel like I can be a mother and be a nurturer and I can, you know, have this motherly instincts that need to like somehow um, materialize itself. It's rather I would, you know, I, I like to share my love with people so I can absolutely see myself maybe adopting, uh, adopting um, children in the future. But that's simply because I want to share the love. But not it's not about getting pregnant or or feeling um feminine that way so i resist that and i and i i get these honestly questions mostly from other women hmm. about oh well you know oh too bad that didn't work out with this with this other guy i mean we thought that you would get married as if that is and all be all the getting married part is the most important part right in a relationship um i think there absolutely is an expectation and I, some, although my parents have never really pressured me into getting married at all, I can kind of feel that they're they're thinking about it, but they don't maybe don't they don't want to tell me, um, but they they do make comments about my age. I can't say it doesn't hurt sometimes. <laughs> they'll they'll make comments, and and certainly my friends and people around me will say, well, oh yeah. Well, I guess you can do that. You don't, you're not married. You don't have kids, you know, and, and this comes up a lot, actually going back to the work thing. This comes up a lot. Well, can you do that? Cause you know, you don't have kids. You're not married. I guess you're a little bit more flexible as if that, you know, outside of that, like travel or things exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. As if, you know, outside of your, your, your husband or, or your wife or your kids, your life doesn't exist. So, um, so I think there's definitely that sort of pressure where I feel like I am pushing against, I'm determined to listen to my own voice and, and, and think about 
if there is a time, there will be a time, but it certainly won't be because other people are asking me and, and, and have this sort of expectation that this should happen any day now because, you know, the, the clock is ticking. <laughs> Good for you, truly, truly. That's, I know from personal experience that a lot of people deal with that external pressure. And quite frankly, it's just, no, it's nobody else's business. Absolutely. But they feel our culture, at least my opinion, our culture makes it okay to comment on somebody's status or makes it okay to assume that somebody thinks they know what you want or what's going to make you happy. Right, right. Absolutely. Ziv, is there something that you, like if you could name one thing Mm -hmm. that just regular folk could start doing to make change around issues of gender, what would that be? Honestly, this podcast is a is an, a wonderful way to 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 tackle that that very issue Thank because you. it deals with everyday life, everyday people sharing their stories. You know, I think what we really should be doing is is listening more. Listen to listen to stories and see how people are are affected or how are they how do they live their lives based on based on these sometimes restrictions sometimes these roadblocks and and try to understand from their perspective and come to some kind of a an understanding of when we have these strict expectations and rules and taboos it's everybody that gets affected, not just one subset of people. So how do we understand each other better? And how do we raise that level of, aware- of awareness even more it, so that we don't, things don't just become very implicit. Now we can get rid of the explicit harassment, but implicitly they're still there. So I think there's so much work that we still have to do. Um, and I know it takes time and it's still, the conversation is evolving, but um, every one of us, every single person has such a huge impact on carrying on the conversations and not mocking somebody for bringing such an important issue and, and, and wanting to have a meaningful conversation about it and just take it seriously, sit down and have meaningful conversations, hear other people, ask them thoughtful questions so that you can maybe better understand yourself better in the process. So that's, I think that that would be my two cents. That's a lovely response. And and quite frankly, that that's, for me, that's the goal of this podcast. If it inspires just a few other people to have those kinds of conversations, then this has been a success. So Ziv, we've come to the end of my formal questions, and I'm just wondering, is there anything that you'd like to add, either a topic that was not raised or something that you thought about from earlier in the conversation? Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Actually, yes. I now remember that I left out a part um, from the relationship story. The gentleman actually told me that um, he would never be okay with me making more money than him. And that he felt really good about pursuing his PhD while I was pursuing my master's because he was one step ahead of me. And that guaranteed that he would make more money. Wow. How did that (laughs) conversation end? (laughs) Well, I was stunned. And I said, I cannot believe that someone his age (laughs) would would say something like that because, you know, he's... 
he's of this generation. He's not um, something that we kind of assume that's old thinking. That's just how things were back then. Um, those excuses that we always always make and talk about. But then he said that he he couldn't explain the feeling, but that just would make him a less of a man if he made less money than me. And so even if it meant that I... I made enough to provide for the family. He would always have to make more just to feel good about himself. That, wow, that that simultaneously makes me feel sorry for him right. and makes me angry at the same time. Now, I'm a bit older than you are, so you know there's definitely a, a generational change there. But my experience of most men your age is not that. Mm -hmm. That seems to be unusual for Mm -hmm. the younger generation. But then again, you're hanging out with a lot more 30-year-olds than I am. So (laughs) what... What do well, you think? Well, actually, this is this is the ironic part. Um, he was frequently asked to participate in um, talks and panel discussions on women's empowerment and working with youth and, and female empowerment, especially with the youth. So, to the to the public. He was very much a women's rights and women's empowerment person, but in the private. That was one thing that he had to confess. So so I guess that's something that we should all kind of take into account, how people behave publicly versus privately. That, and again, this is not to say that this is how all men think or, or, or believe, certainly not, um, but that in this case, at least, that's that, that certainly was the case. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting food for thought. (laughs) Zeev, thank you so much for coming over. I uh, appreciate your stories. I learned a number of things about you that I didn't know. (laughs) And thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered by ProtectRight. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.